Dragnet. The Jack Benny program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about eight minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater program 389 in the series. It's uh, Saturday night, and you know what? Lisa Wolf is back. What's up, Lisa? I am back, and I am so oh glad to be back. Gosh. Thank you, and I know you're glad to have me back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Roger did a great job. I appreciate Roger and Mike uh, filling your size 13 shoes. Well, luckily, it took two people to fill my shoes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but Lisa is back, and we have some classic radio shows for you. Great lineup tonight. We have The Shadow to start things off from 1939. Then Groucho Marx and You Bet Your Life. And then Jack Webb stars in Dragnet. And we also want to say Happy Memorial Day. I know it's Memorial Day weekend um, to remember and honor the people who have died while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. The ultimate sacrifice. We do that appreciate sure. all of our men and women uh, that serve. And you know what, Lisa? We also have uh, a prize to give away for our Real or Ridiculous We do. Game. We're going to be giving away a Lou Malnati's gift certificate. Wow. So that right. is great stuff. And who is the celeb? The celebrity is uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. Okay. Good one? Yes. Good. You know absolutely. a lot about her? Yeah. Uh, right. Hunger Games, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. And a lot more. Yeah, I know who she is. Good. All right. So uh, call <laughs> us. Be what caller? We're going to go with caller number five. Caller five. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We're going to play Cat's Pride. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Right after these words. Come on, baby. Let's so I know we're ready to play Really Ridiculous because Carl has his Walgreens sound effect ready to go. And we have Sue on the line. Hi, Sue. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm so Hi, good. Well, Carl's ready. He's got his uh, very sophisticated sound machine Yep. ready and, and charged up. It's at a level that I can handle, <laughs> technically. <laughs> That's true. Fourteen ninety nine. All right, Sue. Let's give you a pizza. Let's see how this goes. Number one, her performance in the film Silver Linings Playbook earned her an Academy Award for Best Actress. Real or ridiculous? Oh, I'm going to say ridiculous. I'm going to disagree and say real. It's real. She actually won the award. So this is for you, Sue. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> And I get this. You could have helped her out, Carl. I am just saying. I'm just saying. I was going to say, I, need, I oh, think I need a lifeline. I'll right? be your lifeline then. All right. Number two. She had a guest role on the TV show Grey's Anatomy in 2006. Real or ridiculous? Uh, Carl, help me. It sounds real. Okay. Real. We both say real. So why do you listen to Carl? I guess I shouldn't. <laughs> that is not true. Uh, Made that one up. So sorry. Sue. Sue. <laughs> so Sue. Sue. <laughs> Sue. Number three. She has no formal acting training. Real or ridiculous? 
Real. <sighs> I'm going to say ridiculous. <laughs> you have, you didn't say ridiculous. Uh, Sue, you are absolutely right. She Sue's has, right. She is oh right. You, Sue, you, you got and it here's right. here's for me. And Carl, so you each got one right. Is that correct? Yeah, we all, yeah. So good job. All right. For Carl, so, that's an excellent but job. But she's got. But you're uh, the winner, Sue. You have won a Lumel Nottis oh, gift certificate yeah. for $25. Lumel oh, Nottis is home you. of Chicago's best deep dish pizza. Find one of their 40 plus Chicagoland locations or order online at lumelnottis.com. Sue, that is our very favorite pizza, and we hope you enjoyed that one on us. I. I certainly will, and thank Good. you so much, and I so enjoy your show. Thank, thank you. Thank Thanks, you for Sue. calling in. Yeah, she likes me more than she likes I'm you. Pretty sure she yeah, likes I'm pretty, pretty sure she I likes me. Pretty sure I gave her the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> we love our listeners. We just absolutely love our listeners. And welcome back, Lisa Thank Wolf. you. I'm so happy to be here. All right. Well, we have a text in line, 312-981-7200. That is uh, our text. Please text us. We love getting your texts. Lisa's manning the text line. And right now, it's time for The Shadow, probably one of the best-remembered classic radio shows of the Golden Age, and very popular. 1930s came to radio in 1937 with Orson Welles as Lamont Cranston and Agnes Moorhead as his uh, gal pal, the lovely Margot Lane. Now, uh, Lamont Cranston had learned the secret of invisibility. He was able to cloud your mind so that you could not see him, and he used this power to uh, fight crime. After Orson Welles, Bill Johnstone took over, then John Archer, who is Ann Archer's dad. You know, the yes. actress Ann Archer? Yes, sir. Sure. And then Brett Morrison. We have a uh, Bill Johnstone episode for you now from March 19th, 1939. It's called Can the Dead Talk? Here's part one. Of the shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Your local blue coal dealer presents The Shadow. These half-hour dramatizations are designed to forcibly demonstrate to old and young alike that crime does not pay. Before the final broadcast of this Shadow series begins, keep this fact in mind, homeowners. One way to be sure of maintaining steady, even temperatures throughout your home during these changeable days and nights of March and April weather is by burning blue coal. Blue coal is America's finest anthracite. It gives perfect, dependable warmth. And be sure to hold on at the close of today's shadow story, for we have an unusual treat in store for you. The shadow, mysterious character who aids those in distress and helps the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the unseen voice belongs. Today's story, Can the Dead Talk? Oh, good afternoon, Miss Lane. Hello, Aunt. Mr. Cranston in? Uh, yes, Miss Lane. I want you... Hello, Margot. Hurry up, Lamont. We'll be late for Aunt Eliza's big charity benefit. She's been working on it for the last six months. Now, come on. No, all right. Get my coat, Ames, please. Yes, sir. Honestly, Lamont, you're acting like a little boy who doesn't want to go to dancing school. He'll probably enjoy it. 
This man, Voltan, is supposed to be very good. Margot, I don't like mind readers. He isn't a mind reader. He calls himself a mentalist. Well, it means the same thing to me. Well, I understand he's fascinating. When he's not performing on the stage, he goes around exploding the mists of haunted houses and things like that. He doesn't believe in ghosts. Oh, my... Your coat, sir. My coat? Oh, yes. Thank you. Listen, Margot, I've got to be back at six o'clock. There's a polo match at the armory tonight. And I... Yes, yes, I know. I've got a front row seat. And you needn't act like such a martyr. If I can spend the evening watching you trying to break your silly neck playing croquet on horseback, it won't hurt you to go with me this afternoon and have your mind improved. <laughs> Very well. Lead on, Macduff. And now I will proceed with my next experiment. See, Lamont, I told you we'd be late. It started already. I'll sit back here and make this as painless as possible. Certain of you in the audience have written on the slips of paper that my assistant distributed questions you would like me to answer. Now, if you will concentrate on what you have written, I will try to get these questions by thought, transference. But remember, you must concentrate. I must be in complete accord with your thoughts. I get the initials, E.K. Someone with the initials E.K. wants to know the date of her marriage. I think it was... Yes, I'm sure it was. March 24th, 1903. Is that right? Oh, yes, that's right. Do you hear that, Lamont? He's marvelous, don't you think? That's an understatement. Oh, don't be so superior. Everybody, please concentrate. I cannot conduct this experiment in thought transference without sympathetic cooperation from my audience. Now, now I get the initials BDM. BDM wants to know the street, number, and city where he was born. The street is Walnut, the number 2124. Philadelphia. Am I right? Gee, he got it. Frankie's marvelous. How do you suppose he does it? Elementary, my dear Watson. Wait, please. Before I proceed further, I feel that in this room there is someone who is not only an unbeliever, but one who is distinctly hostile to me and what I am trying to do. Hey, Lamont, he must mean you. Oh, nonsense. Probably part of it. I would like that person to attempt a little experiment with me. If he or she will think of something, some question, the answer to which is known to no one else... I will attempt to answer it correctly without the person having written the question down at all. If I can answer it correctly, it should prove to the skeptic that the transference of thoughts from one mind to another is completely possible. Nice trick if he can do it. You don't think it's possible, Lamada? Well, I would say it's impossible, but it's certainly highly unlikely. Well, think of something and concentrate on it and see if you can get it. I will not. In the first place, you don't know that I was the one he was referring to. In the second place, even if I were, I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. You think of something that no one could possibly know but yourself. I'll bet you 100 to 1 he can't get it. Well, perhaps you're right. Quiet, please. Quiet. Someone in the audience is concentrating on the question, who is the shadow? Margot, did you think of that just then? Yes, but I don't know why. It just seemed to come into my head. Not you I will think... answer that question. No. No, on second thought, I believe I will not give the answer after all. Unless I am very much mistaken... The shadow himself is present. And I don't believe this is just the time to remove his veil of secrecy. However, in case the shadow thinks this is merely a sham, I would like to inform him that within an hour, he'll receive a cablegram from someone he never heard of. What do you suppose that means? I haven't the faintest idea. I will now idea. proceed with the questions that have been written on the papers. Someone who is initial is our LCZ. Wants to know the number of a license plate on his car. Oh, Lamont, let's get out of here. You can go if you like, my dear Margot. But I'm going to stay till the end. For heaven's sake, why? After the performance, I think the shadow will pay a little call on Mr. Voltan. I'm consumed with a burning desire to find out just what he knows. 
Close the door immediately. I wish to dress. Yes, master. Remove my boots. Yes, master. I'm careful, you clumsy fool. What's the matter with you? I'm sorry, Imbecile, go. Leave me alone. Yes, master. Well, what's the matter? Master, the doorknob turns. The door is opening. But the hall is empty. Ah, good afternoon. Won't you come in? Have you gone mad, master? There is no one here. You are wrong, Emil. There is someone here. But I see no one. Of course not. You may leave us alone, Emil. Yes, master. Well, Shadow. Well, Voltaire. Sit down, won't you? Unfortunately, I can't stay. I have an engagement. Really? Perhaps your engagement is with that well-known clubman, Mr. Lamont Cranston. Is Lamont Cranston a friend of yours? Why beat about the bush, Shadow? I know perfectly well that you are Lamont Cranston. Are you sure you haven't got me confused with someone else? Quite. Of course, at the moment, I admit I'm unable to see you, owing to a trick of visual hypnotics which it is hardly worth my while to come back. However, your charming companion this afternoon, Miss Lane, wasn't it? Let her mind dwell on the subject quite intensely. Her thought waves were unmistakable. On second thought, I find I can spare you a few minutes of all time. <laughs> Good. My respect for your powers is increasing momentarily. Well, now that you know, what are you going to do about it? I haven't decided yet. Remember... I and I alone know that Lamont Cranston and the Shadow are one and the same, with the exception of your friend Margot Lane. Of course, you realize how much your life would be worth if the underworld should ever learn that you are the Shadow? I have a rough idea. And yet that would be a pity. To terminate so unceremoniously the brilliant capabilities of one who was the Shadow is known and feared throughout the world. Just what are you getting at? Let me tell you a little story, my friend. Did you ever hear of Anton Proskovai? Anton Proskova, the famous anarchist who at one time or another was kicked out of every country in Europe? That's the man. Well, the last I heard of him was some ten years ago, when he was sent into exile. He's supposed to have died there. Anton Proskova didn't die in exile. He escaped. But he dropped out of sight for ten years because he was making a study of that least understood attribute of mankind. The human mind. You mean you? Yes. I am Anton Proskova. You, Anton Proskova? The man without a country? I do not need a country. What do you mean? Shadow, when I started my studies of the brain, I quickly found that people mentally are like sheep. They can be influenced, swayed in any direction by a mentality stronger and superior than their own. Of course. That's nothing particularly new. Wait, wait. After I had made my escape for years, I wandered, living in ditches, eating in pigsties, hounded from country to country by government agents. But all the time, I was collecting subjects. Subjects? Yes, Shadow. Among the submerged, ill-used, half-starved rabble of every nation, there are potential leaders. Leaders who, given the opportunity, could be the dictators of tomorrow. Go on. These men I know. I know them so intimately that from wherever I am, I can control their minds. You saw Emil, my servant. He is completely subjugated to my will. But that's hypnotism. Relatively simple. Not at all. Is not hypnotism. Although I dominate Emil's mind whenever I wish, to all appearances, he is a normal human being. He can be released only if I feel fear. And I am never afraid. Only if you feel fear? I put the idea of the shadow's identity in Miss Lane's mind this afternoon. After which she unknowingly, yet obligingly, answered it mentally. Come in. Excuse me, Mr. Cranston. 
Excuse me, Martha. I have a cablegram here. It is addressed to someone called the Shadow in your care. Yes, I will take it and see that it's delivered. Go now. Yes, Master. You see, Shadow? You mean... On the platform this afternoon, I willed one of my subjects in Europe to cable you, saying the downtrodden shall arise. Here, I will open your cablegram. I'll put it on the table where you can see it. Well, what does it say? The downtrodden shall arise. Why, that's amazing. Now do you believe me, Shadow? Through my subjects who are leaders themselves, I can control the vast mass mind of the rabble, the bulk of the population of the world. I suppose it's possible at that. Possible? Listen, Shadow. I have decided that in exactly one week, a vast uprising which I have so carefully planned for years will take place. Governments will be overthrown. Nations will exist no more. Chaos will reign. Yes, it could be done. It will be done. Why are you telling me this? Because on the threshold of releasing this world-shattering force, I hesitate. Why, Voltan? Because I and I alone can bring this chaos about. But after it's accomplished, then what? How can I control what I have created? Somewhat of a problem, I should think. Yes. I need another mind to share the responsibility. A mind which already has superhuman powers that I could train to assist me in the great work of reorganizing the world. And you want me to join you, is that it? Why not? Shadow between us, we could rule the world. Suppose I refuse. Then, I shall be forced to divulge the secret of your identity to those who would be most interested. After which, I shall proceed with my plans alone. I see. But you won't refuse. Join forces with me, Shadow. Next week, we will plunge the world into chaos such as it has not known since the dawn of creation. A chaos over which you and I will reign supreme. Well... Your answer? Give me 24 hours. And you not answer me now? 24 hours. I will give you seven hours. That is time enough. Come to me at midnight tonight. Where will I find you? You know the old Murray Mansion in the slums over by the river? Of course. It's been boarded up for years. It's supposed to be haunted, I believe. Haunted? <laughs> yes. That's why I use it for my headquarters. A reputation for ghosts is very convenient for keeping away prying eyes. I will be waiting there for you tonight at midnight. And I advise you to come alone. I advise you to come alone. Oh, I always come alone. It's like I want to be alone. That was uh, who said? The voices want... say that. Sounds like uh, I want to suck your blood. To no, uh, <laughs> I want Is that to be alone. Betty... No. Greta Garbo? Greta Garbo. Greta Garbo. I want to be alone. I want I to be want left to, to be, be alone. alone. All right. Well, we're listening to The Shadow. Oh, we love The Shadow. Uh, Agnes Moorhead is in this episode as the lovely Margot Lane. Bill Johnstone as Lamont Cranston. We will get back to Can the Dead Talk in just a few moments. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. That's really attractive, Lisa. Are you calling me attractive? She's Thank you, Carl. eating a green apple, chewing it up, and then sticking it out on her tongue. To sticking me. it out? This is this is what I have to put up I'm with. Sticking Insubordination. It out? I'm sticking it out. What's sticking that? Her t- Curtis, did you see what she did with that with that uh, chewed up green apple? I didn't 
is. Oh, hang on a second. I don't know what mic that it's is. That's six. What mic is that? That's six. It's six? Six? I'm over here. Can you hear Hi, me? Hi, how are you? Yeah, good. Uh, Credit, Credit, no, I didn't. Credit, Credit, Credit. Speaking of six, yeah. I just have to mention while we're on the subject for 10 seconds, yeah. saw the show Six at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, one of the best shows of the year. Go really? see it. Yes. Wow. It's about the six wives of King Henry VIII. Okay. Fantastic. It's a musical. All right. Well, we're listening to The Shadow, and we are uh, really enjoying this. Can the dead talk? Here's the conclusion. I wish he wouldn't take such chances. He's not taking any more chances than we are, sitting down here in the front row. We'll put you pretty close to these indoor polo matches. Close? I'll see, Margo. Any minute, I expect to look up and find a horse sitting in my lap. There goes Lamont again. He's got the ball. No, the back man is riding him off. Subjected to your indignities for so long? You've gone mad. Now, Voltan, it is you who have gone mad. There is but one way to deal with a mad dog. Keep away from me, Emil. Don't come any closer. This gun. I will shoot! Drop that gun. Ah, Emil. I didn't mean it. Uh, Stop, Emil. 
Stop following me! You wounded me, Volcano. But before I die, I am going to kill you. I am not afraid of you anymore. You are afraid of me. No, don't touch me. Don't you... It'll be dawn soon, Margot. I'm, I'm all right now, Evelyn. Why don't you go home yourself? You don't need to stay with me anymore. Well, if you're sure you're all right. Oh, of course I'm all right. I'll take a sedative and go to bed. Good, and get some more. I could use some rest myself. <laughs> you could. Well, if you want anything, don't hesitate to call me, Margot. If I don't hear from you, I'll drop over in the afternoon. All right, and thanks, Evelyn, for sticking by me. You've, you've been a great help. Oh, nonsense. Get some sleep, dear. I thought you'd never go. Oh. Well, Margot. Don't you know me? Well, Lamont, Lamont, I must be dreaming. No, you're not dreaming. I'm here. But you, you were killed. No, I wasn't killed, Margot. Oh, Lamont. But I, I don't understand. I, I saw you lying there so cold and still. It was a trick, dearest. A matter of suspended animation. I wasn't even hurt. Well, then how? It's quite a common trick in India, and it's been done in this country on several occasions. I've never had need to use it before. Voltan forced me to. Well, how does it work? Well, I... I can best explain it by saying I threw myself into a cataleptic trance. My heart stopped. Everything stopped for a short time. <laughs> I had even fooled Dr. Carlson. It'll be an awful shock to him when he sees me alive and well. You mean you did it on purpose? Of course, I had to. And you didn't tell me? I could tell no one, Margot. Oh, Lamont, how could you? I know what a shock it must have been for you, darling, but believe me, there was no other way. It was vitally necessary that Lamont Cranston should be thought dead, so that Voltan would keep his knowledge of the shadow's identity to himself. Well, I had time to figure a way out. But Lamont, why didn't you tell me and spare me the suffering? I wouldn't have given you away. I didn't take the chance. Voltan might have read your thoughts. A sinister man, Margot, with some rather extraordinary mental capabilities. Would it surprise you to know that he had perfected plans for a world revolt? He had? You mean he... Yes. Voltan is dead. As the ghost of the shadow, I faced him tonight in a haunted house. When he thought his mental powers were going back on him, he shot his servant, who very conveniently strangled Voltan before he died, too. Oh, terrible. I don't think so, Margot. There's quite enough unrest among nations today without the machinations of an insane mental genius. Yes, I think the world will be a great deal better off without Mr. Voltan. It's a pity that others with a like capacity for stirring up trouble can't meet the same fate. And now, friends, we have a real treat in store for you. I want you to meet two grand actors. Our stars... Margot Lane, who in reality is the charming Agnes Moorhead, and Lamont Cranston, who is known in real life as Bill Johnstone. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Well, Margot, oh, <laughs> I should say Agnes, I know you'll agree with me that it's been a great privilege for you and me to have played the roles of Margot Lane and The Shadow. 
for the past six months. Yes, it has, Bill, and it's been a lot of fun besides. I can't begin to tell you how much I've appreciated being with the Shadow during his exciting adventures. And I know that we appreciate the generous cooperation we have received from our sponsors, the Blue Coal Dealers, in teaching young and old alike that crime doesn't pay. If we succeeded in driving home that moral, then we'll have accomplished our purpose. As Ken Roberts has told you, ladies and gentlemen, this is our final broadcast of the winter season. But we sincerely hope to be back with another series in the fall. Whether or not the Shadow Program returns is up to you, our listeners. In the theater, you know, we actors can tell by the applause if the audience enjoys our efforts to entertain them. But in radio, the only way to know whether or not the audience enjoys the entertainment is by their purchases of the product that makes the program possible or by their personal approval to the sponsors. So, friends, if you've liked this Shadow series and want to hear the show again next fall, won't you phone or write your nearest blue coal dealer and let him know? Your purchases of blue coal and your phone calls to the blue coal dealers will indicate to them whether or not they should bring you the Shadow program again in September. And now, on behalf of our entire cast, hearty thanks to you again for your loyalty to our show and your support of blue coal. Goodbye, Bill and Agnes. We hope you'll be back again in the fall. Friends, remember that you can continue to thrill to the adventures of the shadow during the summer months by getting the Shadow Magazine at your local newsstand. This is Ken Roberts saying goodbye for Blue Coal. All right, that's The Shadow from March 19, 1939, Can the Dead Talk? Bill Johnstone along with Agnes Moorhead there. And uh, sponsored by Blue Coal is heard on Mutual. And that was the last show of the season. They weren't even sure if the show was coming back. Uh, you know, and um, I can tell you it did come back and aired all the way until the 1950s. Well, that's so. how we feel each week. We just hope <laughs> Are we that we back come next back week? next weekend. Yeah, all right. Uh, a couple of commercials when we come back in our next hour. It's You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. And then Dragnet, so stick around. This Memorial Day weekend, please arrive alive. Never drink and drive. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists Drunk Buster Program pays $100 to motorists who report an impaired driver that leads to a DUI arrest. This program is in effect year-round in DuPage, Lake, Kane, Grundy, McHenry, and Will Counties, and statewide at all major holidays, including Memorial Day weekend. Citizens are encouraged to report erratic driving to the police this tip brought to you by AAIM, the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. For more information, visit www.aaim1.org. While we have a couple minutes before the news, I wanted to chat with you, Lisa and uh, Curtis, and our listeners about uh, a special that was on, I think it was, was it Friday night? I, I recorded Thursday it. Thursday night. So it was on during the week. <clears throat> it was live. Lear. It was live in front of a studio audience, Norman Lear's All in the Family and the Jeffersons. Okay, folks, if you have not seen this, you can get it on On Demand because I missed it when it aired live. Then I watched it the next day. It was. They also rebroadcasted the whole thing tonight. Yeah, so really what this was is uh, contemporary actors like Jamie Foxx and Marissa, Marissa Tomei. Yeah, Marissa Tomei and all, tons, all kinds of great actors 
they were um, redoing word for word the, a script from All in the Family live in front of a studio audience. And I mean, we're talking live on television. I mean, because they made a mistake here or, or there, and it aired live. Jamie Foxx was hilarious when he, he made his great. mistakes. He played George Jefferson. And um, uh, who was, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of his name now, um, Was uh, played the Carol O'Connor role, Ar- Archie. Um, that's, um, gosh, I'm oh gosh, we just talked about Oh, that. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Thank you, Woody Harrelson, yeah. <laughs> he was great. Marissa Tomei was, Edith Bunker. And we had a standout was definitely Jennifer Hudson, who sang the theme oh my from gosh. the Jefferson. Let's listen to the Jefferson theme for a second. Here's Jennifer Hudson. something else and this was a 90 minute special and it opened up with norman lear himself yeah um and he's 96 years old oh, and he gosh. looked fantastic, fantastic and he was so interesting and still they so started with all in the today. family right yes. they did all in the family first um and woody harrelson marissa tomei and there was all kinds of other actors in it as well well wanda Made yeah, Wanda Sykes like, well, she was played, yeah. Jefferson. She played um, Louise. Louise yeah. Jefferson, right? She was Weezy. awesome. She was awesome. That's what social media was going crazy over. I'm telling you, folks, if you did there. not see this special, it was a little over an hour. It's 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just mentioned that. I'm sorry. I don't. I didn't hear you. I know. But I was having trouble with my my headphones. Seriously, though. Mm-hmm. But um. You can get it on on demand. Now let's listen to uh, let's listen to Woody Harrelson and Marissa Tomei, the opening song to All in the Family. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you knew who you were then. Goyles were goyles and men were men. Mister, we could use a man like Hoyman over again. Didn't need no welfare state. Everybody pulled his weight. G.R.O. great thing about it was it was live. I mean, like these classic radio shows were done live, right? And the studio audience was going crazy. And and you can just 
feel the love and the passion in the show because it was live and there are some messes and some mistakes and that was the fun of it. And I think we all appreciate it and I hope they do more of this in and, the future. And Jamie Foxx is George Jefferson. He, he was, was spot on. Unbelievable. And I thought Woody Harrelson did a ter- terrific job. See, as, I was a little more as, taken with Marissa Tomei yeah, as she Edith. Was, well, but, I mean, um, I thought everybody was great But on they it. were fantastic. Let me tell you, this was, this really was, a, this was one of the, the best... 90 minute specials most fun I've had watching TV in so long I mean I hope they do more of these I just said that and folks if you don't you did you just said that I just said I hope they do more of these because it was really something special <laughs> well I've told you I'm having trouble with my headphones I can't hear oh that must be it um, you have to watch it just go on demand and look for Norman Lear's what is it called Norman live, Lear's in front live. Of the studio audience. It's kind of a clunky name. All you'd have but... to do is search Norman Lear and it pops up and watch it. I promise you, you will love it. <laughs> Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right. Thanks, David. It's eight minutes after midnight. And what is our celebrity on Real or Ridiculous? Uh, the celebrity is one of your favorites, Carl, John Travolta. John Travolta. Yeah, and we are going Saturday Night Live. That's Saturday, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Fever, Fever, though. It's so close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> only one word Live. off. And we are going to give away one of your favorite gifts. It is the desktop indoor weather station. All right. That's what, what you wish you had, but yes, don't. Yes, I do. And we are going to look for caller number three. You can yep. call right now at 3129. 17200. Call now and we'll be right back to play the game. Come on, baby. Let's get ridiculous. All right, we've got Tom on the phone. We're going to play a little real or ridiculous. Hey, Tom. Morning. Good morning. Carl's going to be your lifeline. We're going to see what we know about John Travolta. Number one. Hi, Tom. Okay. Okay, he and Dolly Parton sing a duet for the animated movie Bolt. Is that real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. Yeah, I'll agree. Ridiculous. It is ridiculous, although he does sing one with Miley Cyrus. So just a little fact fact there. Number two, he is an author and published a book titled Flight of Passage. Real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. I'm going to say real. It is ridiculous. You got it, Tom. (laughs) Carl. And number three, he turned down the role of Josh Baskin in the movie Big. Is that real or ridiculous? Real. I agree, real. It is ridiculous. Just made that up, but he could have been that. But anyways, congratulations. You are a winner, Tom. You've won the desktop indoor weather station. It is brought to you by American Weather Makers Heating and Cooling. They are the 60-Minute Men. Give them a call at 855-955-HVAC. Thank you, Tom. You did a great job. We appreciate your calling. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you. All right. He's a big winner. And it's now time for our listeners to enjoy Groucho Marks on You Bet Your Life. The secret word is chair. Chair. Yeah. This is from April 26, 1950, going way back to the beginning of the series. Here is part one of You Bet Your Life. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's Dragnet. Oh, yeah, Dragnet queued up. We got to go with You Bet Your Life. All right, you ready for that? All right, here we go. You bet your life. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is chair. C-H-A-I-R. Really? You bet your life.
the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... What a ham that guy is. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who's face to try for it? We invited some building inspectors and some real estate agents to the show. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Inspector Robert Steele and Agent Thomas Williams. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, boys, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if one of you says the secret word, you split $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Inspector uh, Bob Steele, you, you inspect buildings? That's right. Stop leering at my framework. Huh? <laughs> I'm as sound as a dollar. <laughs> well, the dollar's only worth 50 cents now. <laughs> and real estate agent Tom Williams. Huh? Just what do you do in your job? Well, I sell houses, get rentals for people, and I sell lots. Sell lots of what? Well, lots of lots. <laughs> Look, you're not up before a Senate committee now. You, know. you can speak freely. Come, come clean now. You sell lots of what? I sell lots. Look, son, we have to finish this thing in 30 minutes. Now, out with it. What do you do in your job? Well, I sell houses, find rentals, and over the weekend, I sit on a house. <laughs> You sit on a house? Yes, I do. Have you ever laid any small bungalows that way? <laughs> Over the weekend, you, you just sit on a house. How do you mean you sit on a house? I well, don't by sitting on a house, a real we, uh, time? we hold a house open for inspection over Saturday and Sunday, and we are there when anybody comes. I see, huh? Uh, how's business, real estate man? Rather slow, but I did manage to turn over a couple of houses this week. You turned? <laughs> what did you do? Lose a nickel under one of them? <laughs> what do you mean you turned over a couple of houses? I sold some houses. Must be a pretty slick salesman to sell a house that's been turned over, huh? <laughs> well, that's one way to keep the roof from leaking. <laughs> well, what do you do on your job, uh, Inspector Steele? Oh, I inspect houses for the Los Angeles building code. Oh, see. Well, uh, why, why do you do that? Well, so they're safe for occupancy. What if the building is only half safe? <laughs> you use an airway kind of? <laughs> How do you know if a building is safe for occupancy? Hmm? Well, I check it from stem to stern and from top to bottom. Well, that's a boat, I mean. How do you check a <laughs> How do you check a house? Well, we check the foundation, the footings, the underpinnings, the framework, the lath, plaster. What kind of buildings do you inspect? Oh, we inspect uh, everything that's over four by four. <laughs> why, why, why'd you pick that figure, four by four, huh? Well, I suppose anything under that side would, uh, wouldn't matter whether it was safe or not. 
four by four. I didn't once knew a girl who was five by five, and she wasn't very safe either. <laughs> she had a good foundation, but unfortunately, it kept slipping. Now, <laughs> well, let's get back to you, uh, Mr. Williams. Suppose I'm a likely prospect, and you think I'm in the market. Tell me your blue plate special for this week. Well, Mr. Marks, I have a dandy over in Sherman Oaks. It's a two-story Cape Cod. Has five be- five bedrooms and four baths, all tile. What about the other bedroom? What do they do? <laughs> they wait till the rainy season starts. <laughs> well, we could put another shower in the basement. That would be for me, I suppose. Okay. Now, Inspector, in buying a house, what should the average person look out for in addition to the real estate agent? <laughs> well, you can check it for termites. You know, you must always have a term. You're talking about an old house, aren't you? I'm talking about the house he's trying to stick me with. <laughs> Suppose you refuse to appro- uh, approve a house because you don't think it will stand up. What, what then? We... Uh... Won't issue a certificate of occupancy on the house. And that means? That means that no one can live in it. You mean the house just stands there empty? How, how long does this go on? Well, it doesn't make any difference for a hundred years or so. Well, if the house will stand up that long, you should have approved it in the first place. <laughs> well, now that I know all about real estate and building inspection, let's see if you two are going to be the ones who get the chance at the $1,000 question. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play You Bet Your Life. Let's see if you two will get a chance at the $1,000. Fenneman, bring them up to date on the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous structures as your category. Is that right? That's right. Now, you have $20. How much do you want to bet? And talk right up into the mic. Ten. $10. Okay. Now, here's your first question. In what country is the Arch of Triumph? France. Vive la France. And they're on their way with $30. Now, how much of the $30 will you throw? 25 25 huh? In what country is the Taj Mahal? It's in India. India. They're climbing. They have $55. 50 50 In what country is the Alhambra? Spain. Spain is correct. Now they have $105. You're taking my money too swiftly here. You've got $105. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of it would you want to go for? The gentleman says, shoot the works. The gentleman says, shoot the... How do you know he's a gentleman? (laughs) I haven't answered the question yet. Okay. (laughs) In what country is the famous Bastille? France. That's right. Is the best... And they wind up with a grand total of $210. not true. The Bastille comes from the United States. I... <laughs> Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, stick around now. You may get a chance at the big question. You Rock may show. get a chance. <laughs> the secret word is still chair. Yes, George. Perhaps the next couple will say it. Quite, it's quite okay, George. Just before we went in the air, our studio audience selected a camp counselor and a married man. And here they are, Miss Dorothy Johnson and Mr. Joe Benjamin. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, folks, to You Bet Your Life. And if you say the secret word, you will divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. 
Miss uh, Johnson, you're a, you're a camp counselor, huh? That's right. Very pretty girl. Uh, what camp is it? Uh? <laughs> oh, that's Clear Creek School Camp. Where, where are you from, Dorothy? From Idaho Falls, Idaho. You what was it? Idaho Falls, Idaho. Idaho Falls, Idaho. Yes. I thought you were yodeling there for a minute. <laughs> uh, do you have any children of your own? No. You don't have any children. Since you're a camp counselor, did you meet your husband at a Boy Scout camp? No. Was he a Girl Scout? No, he's nothing. I'm not married. <laughs> he's nothing. That's a fine remark. <laughs> Whether you're married or not, that's a pretty rough opinion to have of your husband. He's probably a very nice fellow, and you're just temporarily annoyed with him. Uh, Mr. Joe Benjamin, huh? That's right. He used to be a price fighter by that name. He was one of Dempsey's sparring partners. I boxed for quite a while myself. Did you? That's right. Why didn't you box with somebody else, huh? <laughs> pretty punchy when they start boxing with themselves. <laughs> Well, you're not at all marred up, uh, Joe. Huh? You're the you're the married man, is it? Not yes, sir. Well, why we're on the subject? Why is your wife annoyed with you? She's not annoyed with me. She isn't, eh? Well, let's see what I can do about it, huh? <laughs> how old is she? Well, she's pretty young. Well, how young is she? About three? Uh... <laughs> no, I mean she's pretty young for her age. How old are you, Dorothy? Eighteen. Eighteen. Well, you're very young for your age. <laughs> Maybe you two are meant for each other. <laughs> well, I'm at it. I might as well fix this fellow up right. Eh? <laughs> now, at what camp do you do your counseling, did you say? A Clear Creek school camp. Oh, Clear Creek. And where, where is it? Uh, oh, it's in La Cunada, just past La Cunada. Where is that, in Scotland? <laughs> Uh, no, it's, um... Where's La Cunada? Huh? I know where a wee duck and Doris is, but... <laughs> Could be a wee lock and ladder, too. You know? <laughs> or a wee hook and ladder. We had a fine... <laughs> Dorothy Johnson, where's La Cunada, huh? <laughs> you don't know where La Cunada is, huh? This is your first year there? Uh, no, I've been a camper there, and now I'm. A, I just started being a director. Well, how, for one how year. did you get there when you went there last year? <laughs> did they blindfold you before? Yeah. <laughs> well, we went on a bus. It's um, in the foothills. Uh, let's see. I can't exactly remember the hills. <laughs> it's there. Those kids are gonna have a tough time finding it this year. <laughs> if the counselor can't find it, that. It... <laughs> Fifty tots roaming the hills all summer. <laughs> That'll certainly help the juvenile delinquency. <laughs> How old are these uh, gangsters that you? Uh... Oh, they run from about six to twelve. They run from six to twelve. They run. They want to find this place. <laughs> All right, some fun stuff with Groucho Marx on You Bet Your Life from April 26, 1950. 
more of You Bet Your Life after these words. All right. Don't forget, Lisa, we have the classic radio club that we have created for our listeners. It's a club that you can join, folks. And when you do join, the very first month, only a dollar, you'll get 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. You can get them on CD or you can get them digitally sent to you. And when you do get the CDs, it's an additional shipping and handling charge of four ninety nine. But you'll get ten classic radio shows and you'll get them you'll get ten shows every month, ten different shows every single month by being a club member. And these are the best quality shows that we have in the library and the most fun shows we have, right, Lisa? Right, Carl. And you know what? You uh you were telling me last week, you said one of the things you like the most is you sometimes get things you didn't know even existed. I did say that, but I think that was two weeks ago. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> but Boy, that time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, there are some hidden gems and some shows that I wasn't familiar with. And that's the fun of the club is you get exposed to everything. Um, and you learn a little bit more about what you like and what you prefer and what you don't. But you still look a, learn a little bit more about classic radio every single month. Right. And I write, I write uh, very um, detailed liner notes for every single show as well. And I will tell you that I am with our listeners on this one. Groucho Marx is fantastic. Groucho uh, comes uh, part of the Classic yes, Radio Club every once in a while. So if you want to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, we'd love you to join. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. It's all there. Join tonight. We'd love you to be a member. And it's only $1 the first month. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. This Memorial Day weekend, please arrive alive, never drink and drive. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists Drunk Buster Program pays $100 to motorists who report an impaired driver that leads to a DUI arrest. This program is in effect year-round in DuPage, Lake, Kane, Grundy, McHenry, and Will Counties, and statewide on all major holidays, including Memorial Day weekend. Citizens are encouraged to report erratic driving to the police. This tip by AIM. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. For information, visit www.aaim1.org. All right. All right. Very good, Lisa Wolf. Um, I never drink and drive. I don't drink, really. I mean, I, I mean, I might have a glass of wine with a steak, but I don't even drive after that. I try to not even do that. Try to limit your drinking I've never been, while you drive. I've never been someone who drinks. I mean, it's just, but especially if I did, I wouldn't drink while I'm driving. Nope. That's a that's pretty a, that's a horrible thing really to do. really bad idea. It's not only horrible to yourself, it's disrespectful to everybody around you. Yep, it's more than disrespectful. Yep. It's... Um, it could ruin a life. Yep, and you'll end up with a DUI or even worse. Uh, DUI is, the, is worse. the least of it. I mean, yeah. you can kill someone. Very true. All right, well, we're listening to a very funny episode of You Bet Your Life. People seem to just love these shows. We get all kinds of texts, people saying how much they love Groucho and You Bet Your Life. And this is a great series. The funny thing about it, how they did this and why it was so... It sounds so on is because they would tape this show. It would sometimes go 45 or 50 minutes long, and then they would edit it. So if Groucho messed up or if he thought of something later, he would go back right. and say something funny to the, uh, to, the, to the listeners, I mean to the contestants. Right. 
And then it got edited, so it sounded like he was like boom, right boom. on, you know. I always say I still think this would work today. It it still works. I agree. Just as well as who it would did be that. the host? Well, we Us. would, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> we're always trying to find a new gig. This um, would be it. Well, an additional gig. We wouldn't give up this gig, but right, we, we would do you about your life. If Are you kidding? They wanted us to. No, I mean, <laughs> who who, they? let's think about this. Who would be? Who would be a great? Well, you know who? Jay Leno. Jay Why Leno. would he be better than we would? Well, come on. Better than Jay Leno? Who's no, better than Jay Leno? With? We are. Nobody's better than Jay Leno. For this, I think we He's would be the, the perfect choice. He's great. He is great. Come on, seriously. He's great. I'm telling you, Jay Leno could be the next You Bet Your Life host. I He'd will. be incorrect. There's no, I don't think there's anybody that was... I mean, Johnny Carson... What, but he's not around anymore. But Johnny Carson and Jay Leno, to me, were the two best interviewers. So funny, so spontaneous. They are very, incredible. very, very quick. Yeah, you need an, uh, a spontaneous person. I could do it, though. I'm just and saying. I think, <laughs> I think Jay Leno would be great. I didn't say he would, but I said I would be great, too. Yeah. All right. You're hired. Thank you. You're take fired. <laughs> hired or fired. You're fired. I, whichever one. All right, let's get back to You Bet Your Life. <laughs> what are some of the uh, activities at this mysterious camp? <laughs> Hiking, I think swimming. they do moonshining out there. <laughs> what do you do, Dorothy? Well, crafts, swimming, hiking, arching. What do you oh. mean, arching their backs? <laughs> arching their backs? Or... No, you know, bow and arrow. Oh, bow and arrow, yes. huh? Yes. <laughs> well, in addition to poison ivy, what do the kids get out of this? <laughs> we build character. Oh. Could you build me one? Uh... I don't know. Mine is none too good. <laughs> Suppose a kid objects to having you build his character. What do you do, Dorothy? Oh, we have punishments. You call in the real estate agent and have them turn the kids over, huh? <laughs> Slug them? Or do you just whack them on the bum-bum, huh? Well, we're not allowed to lay a hand on them. What do you use, a baseball bat? <laughs> How do you discipline your children, uh... Mr. Benjamin. Well, I talk, talk to her for a while. If that don't work, spank him. <laughs> spank him on the bum-bum? <laughs> that sounds like a summer is though, doesn't it? <laughs> Where did you go last year, Groucho? <laughs> Why, we had a lovely time. We had two lovely weeks at spank him on the bum-bum. <laughs> Who does the disciplining in your family? I'm not married. All this time and you're still not married? <laughs> Did anything embarrassing ever happen to you, Dorothy? Well, yes. Once up at camp, uh, one of the directors was chasing the snake and uh, snakes... Oh, the sucker he was, huh? <laughs> like to let rattlesnakes roam around the hills. That's right. I don't blame you. Kids, no. I just approve of it myself. So we tried to capture this one, and uh, rattlesnakes usually go in pairs. You do. 
Uh, yes. That's so. very interesting to know. <laughs> so? Well, the snake went under the rock, and uh, this other director asked me to watch if there was another snake. And all of a sudden, he sat down on some uh, yucca bush. And the thing was, I didn't know where to apply the tourniquet. He, he thought I was a snake. <laughs> One good tourniquet deserves another. <laughs> well, now that we've got that settled, let's see how you make out with some quiz questions. You're going to play You Bet Your Life for the chance at $1,000. You run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you get a big chance. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners. The real estate agent and the building inspector won $210. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected famous stadiums as your category. Is that right? How much of the 20 are you going to risk? About 10. 10. In what city is Soldier Field? Chicago. Chicago is right. We're on our way with $30, Groucho. All right, you've got $30 now. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of the 30 will you try? 25. 25. In what city is Scheib Park? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is right. $55. All right, you got $55. Here's your third question. How much of the 55 do you want to try? 50. In what city is Franklin Field? Annapolis or Baltimore? Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. It's, it's again, Philadelphia. They now have $5. Oh. That's a shame. All right. You want to bet the five, I presume, huh? Yes. In, in what city is Fenway Park? That's uh, Boston. Boston is correct. <laughs> You've practically cleaned out now, but I'm going to give you one more chance to make some money. You get this one right, and I'll hand over $10 in cash. Now, think hard. What city is located on San Francisco Bay? <laughs> oh, San Francisco. Grant's tomb is right. Give them the money. Now they end up with $10. Thanks, and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, we'll soon know who gets the chance at the $1,000 question. All right, Fenneman, who's ahead in the battle for the $1,000 question tonight? Well, the building inspector and the real estate agent are leading with $210, and the secret word is still chair. Just before we went on the air, we selected a bachelor and a spinster from our studio audience, and here they are, Miss Burt Banks and Mr. Olaf Hovden. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, welcome for the for, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. And if you say the secret word, you divide $100 in cash between you. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Miss uh, Bert Banks, is that right? That's right. And uh, Mr. Olaf Hovden, is that right? That's right. You're the bachelor, huh? What is that, Swedish? Norwegian. Norwegian. Oh, that's almost <laughs> the same thing. No, you wouldn't call him Norwegian a Swede. <laughs> well, I would have. I was pressed. Uh, <laughs> How old are you, Olaf? Sixty-five. Well, you certainly don't look at a very young-looking Norwegian. <laughs> and uh, Miss Banks, uh, if I'm not too fresh, how old are you? You think that's a fair question to ask a woman? <laughs> well, I don't expect a fair answer, so... Uh, would you mind if I guessed? No, go ahead. Fifty-five. 
No. Fifty. No, you're getting warm. <laughs> well, at my age, that isn't bad. Huh? <laughs> Olaf? Olaf, what sort of work do you do? I'm farming. You're a farmer and you don't have a wife? Who pulls the plow? <laughs> you mean that nursery rhyme about the farmer takes a wife is all wrong? I don't read any nursery rhymes. Well, if I'm successful here tonight, you will be. <laughs> Didn't you use a wife on your farm? Oh, sure. Oh. Oh, she could feed the pigs and milk the cows and de feed the chickens and... Is that all she'd have to do? Oh, no. Where's your farm? Uh? It's the west end of Antelope Valley. Antelope Valley, huh? Yeah. About 70 miles from here. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, are, are you 49, Miss Banks? <laughs> no. <laughs> 49 and a half? No. Well, if you ever get to 50, my advice is to sell, huh? I think you're a mighty fine-looking gal, Miss Banks, despite all this unfunny kidding. Thank well, you. Now, what, what sort of work do you do? I'm in hats. I mean, where, where are you employed? Saks Fifth Avenue, Beverly Hills. Oh, you work in Saks, huh? Yes. Well, you'd be a big help on a farm, huh? <laughs> when you get through feeding the chickens and the pigs, you could start filling the sacks with potatoes. <laughs> What do you do at Saks, sir? I'm in hats. You're in hats? <laughs> Must be kind of chilly, isn't it? <laughs> what are the current styles in women's hats? Well, rough sailors. Of course, we sell them. <laughs> I didn't know there were any other kind. Olaf, you've been pretty quiet here. What do you raise in your farm? Wheat, barley, and oats. Cattle. You're still a bachelor, huh? Well, you haven't been sowing the right kind of oats, Olaf. <laughs> How big is your farm? About 3,000 acres. You ought to plant a little sugar, then you could raise cane. Some milk, eh? Can't raise cane. You can't raise cane? Why not? Raise sugar beets. Oh, here I am trying to make millions of people laugh, and you have to ruin it by throwing in the wrong vegetable. <laughs> How is farm life today compared to when you first started uh, farming? Oh, it's a good deal easier today. More mechanized machinery. Miss Banks, you've just been replaced by the McCormick Reaper. <laughs> you think you'd like to live on a farm, Miss Banks? No, decidedly not. You wouldn't, huh? No. Well, now tell me, Corn Silk, suppose, uh, <laughs> suppose Miss Banks decided to leave Saks and take up farming. Uh, what would she do for entertainment? Remember, she's used to life in a big city like Beverly Hills, where the ice cream stores close at 10 o'clock. <laughs> she can go to the ladies' aids meeting and sewing and card and square dances and entertainment in the house for radio and piano. 
Well, when things get real dull, Miss Banks, you can always get on the bakery in town and smell hot bread. <laughs> kind of loaf around there, you know. And he... <laughs> now that you two are definitely going to be hitched. <laughs> you can try those hats on the livestock out there. <laughs> Let's see how well you work together as a team for the chance of the $1,000 question. You beat the other two couples and you win the chance at all that money. Whether or not you win much money, I hope you and everybody else will do something for me. Join the 1950 Cancer Crusade. Strike back at cancer by giving generously to your local committee of the American Cancer Society. Mail your contribution to cancer, care of your local post office. All right, Fenneman, remind our listeners how much the other couples donated. The building inspector and the real estate agent are still ahead with $210. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected famous hotels as your category. Is that right? Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Ten. In what city is the Mark Hopkins Hotel? San Francisco. San Francisco is right. They're on their way with thirty dollars. Whole life you've been away from that farm. <laughs> Remember, you're going for a thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty will you try? Twenty. Twenty. In what city is the Palmer House Hotel? Chicago. Chicago is right. $50. Now you have $50. Here's your third question. How much of the 50? 20. 40. $40. Okay. And what city is the Roney Plaza Hotel? Oh, Miami. Miami Beach is right. They're really climbing. They have $90. All right. You got $90. Now here's your last chance. Uh, how much are you going to bet on this one? Talk it up, Olaf. 40 40 $40. $40. In what city is the Waldorf Astoria Hotel? New York City. New York City is right. And they wind up with a grand total of $130. And that means the building inspector and the real estate agent with $210 get the chance of the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. And here's the building inspector and the real estate agent, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question, Groucho. Okay, here we go for $1,000. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you and think carefully and no help in the audience. Here it is. The official yacht of the President of the United States is one of the world's most beautiful pleasure crafts. For $1,000, what is the name of President Truman's official yacht? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Lafayette. No, I'm sorry. It's the Williamsburg. <laughs> so that means the big question next week will be worth $1,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $210 in the quiz. Congratulations, and thanks to both of you. Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. 
Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $1,500. Well, Bing Crosby's raring to go, so good night, folks, and remember... Sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Don't save time, Mr. Motorist. Save yourself. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. That's Groucho Marx, Lisa, on You Bet Your Life from April 26, 1950, secret word chair. Nobody got that. Uh, Groucho Marx, George Fenneman doing the announcing for the DeSoto dealerships, 3,000 of them across the country. And a lot of fun. And uh, we had a couple of people texting in who they thought would be um, good uh, new hosts for You Bet Your Life. Someone texted in Steve Harvey. Some other people uh, agreed with me that, um, what? Nothing. What? I didn't say anything. <laughs> that Jay Leno would be great. Another person said uh, Fallon would be really good. And who else? Was there any other ones? Uh, yeah, we had a whole bunch. I can give you some suggestions. Let's see. Uh, besides Someone's... Lisa Wolf. Uh, we've got uh, Kevin Ross. I don't know who that is. I don't either. Kevin Ross? I don't know who no. that is. I don't know. Um, Craig Ferguson. Yeah, Craig Ferguson. He'd be great. Um, Craig Fer- he's good. Somebody also mentioned that Bill Cosby was a host for it on television yeah. um, from 92 to 93, right? It was syndicated, yep. um, but um, didn't last very long because nobody can be Groucho. That's true. All right, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. This Memorial Day weekend, please arrive alive, never drink and drive. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists Drunk Buster Program pays $100 to motorists who report an impaired driver that leads to a DUI arrest. This program is in effect year-round in DuPage, Lake, Kane, Grundy, McHenry, and Will Counties, and statewide on all major holidays, including Memorial Day weekend. Citizens are encouraged to report erratic driving to the police. This tip by AIM, the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. For information, visit www.aaim1.org. All right, we still have another hour of classic radio here because on saturday nights leading into sunday morning we are here till two o'clock in the morning and then when we come back here uh, tonight we'll be here till one and when we do come back here tonight what do we have we have the, the great gilder sleeve and we have gun smoke oh my brother's least favorite show gilder sleeve but he likes gun smoke yeah he likes gun smoke uh in our next hour we have dragnet probably the best police procedural of the golden age of radio dragnet jack webb starring from 1949 a very early broadcast from that series that is in our next hour back to wgn radio theater with carol amari and lisa wolf 
This Memorial Day weekend, please arrive alive, never drink and drive. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorist Drunk Buster Program pays $100 to motorists who reported impaired driver that leads to a DUI arrest. This program is in effect year-round in DuPage, Lake, Kane, Grundy, McHenry, and Will Counties, and statewide at all major holidays, including Memorial Day weekend. Citizens are encouraged to report erratic driving to the police. This tip, AAI. I am the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. For more information, visit www.aaim1.org. All right. You know what, Lisa? In this hour, Dragnet, Jack Webb, and a good true crime case. These were from the files of the Los Angeles Police Department. They were closed files, but they were uh, reenacted on Dragnet. It was a very popular show on radio, TV, and the movies on for many, many years, and we have a very early broadcast for you, Jack Webb and all his gang, from 1949. But first, we're going to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous, sponsored by Cat's Pride. Exactly. The celebrity is Goldie Hawn. Great. And we, uh, thank you, we're going to be giving away a desktop indoor weather station, highly coveted prize here at WGN Radio, and we are looking for caller four. So call right now, 312-981-7200, and uh, Play the game with us, and we'll be right back. The proud and honorable men and women of our military are still overseas, sacrificing their lives and their families' emotions for another country's freedom. Please pray for the courageous troops of our military. This salute courtesy of Designer Decks by MJ in Morris, where they are working hard for the future of our great community. For information, call 815-941-4910. That's 815-941-4910. Designer Decks by MJ is thanking our military for their dedication and service. So, do we have Squad on the phone? Hello? Hey, who's on the phone with us? Hello? (laughs) Oh, there we are. Sorry, what's your name? No, Squat. Oh, hi, Squat. What's going on? How you doing? Hey. We're uh, doing good. I love your show. I live on a hill. I got the I got the most terrible of uh, cell phone service. So that's oh, okay. I we can I... hear you. Yeah, it's great. No, we can. We got you. Okay. No problem. All right, we're gonna do Goldie Hawn here. You ready, Squat? I'll do the best I can. Did you want to do it, Carl? Did you want me to do it? <laughs> Lisa will do it, and I'll help okay, you. I'll hi, be your life. How are you? <laughs> Good. Good. Okay, terrific. Number one, she began her acting career as a cast member of the sitcom Good Morning World. Is that real or ridiculous? I think it's ridiculous. I say ridiculous. It is real. No. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. (laughs) No, it's from 1967 to 68. And then she she got on laughing? Exactly. Oh, all right. That's exactly right. She's so sneaky this time. I'm tricky. She's, was it a sitcom or was it a morning it, show? It's a, it's a sitcom. Oh, it was a sitcom. Oh, okay. All right. See, you learned something. Right. Number two, at 39, she posed for the cover of Playboy magazine. Real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say real. It is real. Yeah. That is absolutely correct. January 1985, in case you wanted to look it up. 
Um, I wonder if that means she had a pictorial. No, she just was on the just cover. Just the cover. Yeah. But Carl would know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, good job, Carl. Number three. <laughs> In two, this he knows. In 2005, she published an autobiography titled A Lotus Grows in the Mud. Real or ridiculous? Oh, this girl. oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm going for the sweet, ridiculous. I'm going to say real. It's real. Ah. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't Swan, matter. You're the winner. Yes. You have won the highly coveted prize here on WGN I'm Radio. guessing you're not related to Goldie Hawn or anything because you didn't get any <laughs> That's okay. You've won the desktop indoor weather station brought to you by American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling. They are the 60-minute men, and you can give them a call at 855-955-HVAC. All right, what did you want to say, Squat? Sorry about that. Lisa. That's all right. I failed miserably, but... But you're going to enjoy uh-huh. your prize. But you were a good sport, and we had some fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing better than talking to you guys. All and, right. Uh, we need some more of uh, yours truly, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Next Sorry. week, tons of yours truly, yeah. Johnny Dollar next Five week. Five-part series. All right, buddy, we got to run, Beautiful. but thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you very much. All right, it is time now for Dragnet, Lisa. You ready for this? I sure am, Carl. All right, Jack Webb stars as Sergeant Joe Friday, October 1st, 1949, the Thomas Level Case. Part one now of Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to burglary detail. A gang of hijackers has started to work in your city. Truckloads of valuable merchandise have vanished. The thieves are clever, seem to have a foolproof system. Your job, find them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, March 6th. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the record bureau, and it was 5.35 a.m. when I got to room 2A. Interrogation room. Read this to him, Ben. Yeah. 2,600 dozen nylon stockings, 45 bolts of silk, 58 cases imported perfume. Where are you dumping this stuff, LaValle? That's what we want to know. I told you the truth. I have nothing to do with it. I don't know anything about it. What was this stolen way bill doing in the cab of your truck? How many times do I have to tell you? I don't know. Your fingerprints are all over it. You must have carried it there. I didn't carry it there. Somebody's out to frame me. How many in the hijack gang, Lavelle? I'm not in a hijack game. I told you I don't know. When are you going to let me go? Who's the head of the gang? 
I don't know any head of the gang. I want to get out of here. You're covering for somebody. I'm not covering for anybody. You take the rap for all this, you're going to have a beard down to your knees by the time you get out. I'm not taking any rap. Then let's have it. I'm tired. $42,000 worth. You know who took it, you know where it is. They could have disappeared anywhere on their way from the east to the thousand places. Nothing was missing from those shipments when they came in on the train. Everything was there when they were unloaded at the warehouse. Then I don't know. I don't know. Every dollar's worth was accounted for when it was loaded on the truck. Well, where is it now? I'm tired. We've been here all night. Let me... Well, let me read it for you again. 2,600 dozen nylon stockings, 45 bolts of silk, 58 cases imported perfume. And you're trying to tell us somebody hijacked all that from the trucks without you knowing it? The trucks were loaded at the warehouse. We went out to eat. We came back, got in the trucks, delivered the stuff, and that's all I know. And while you were out eating, the receipts for the load disappeared, too. Is that right, Lavelle? I don't know where the way bills are. The shipping truck, that's his job. We talked to him. He says one of you could have taken the way. Well, then he's lying. I didn't take him. Then what was this way bill doing in the cab of your truck? I told you, I don't know. Somebody's trying to frame me. Why? I don't know. Somebody, I don't know why. Then you better come up with an answer, mister. Look, I'm tired. We've been here since six o'clock last night. We're all tired. Who are you covering for? What are you trying to build? I need that coffee left, Ben. It's cold. It's all right. You want some, Laval? No. Let's get one thing straight. We've been here all night. We can be here all day, tomorrow, the day after that, and the day after that. Yeah. We got enough to make you on this. You know that. We're going to stay with you. You tell us the truth. Everything. I told you all I'm going to tell you. We stay here for six months. You got it all. This your home phone, Hillside 8321. That's right, 8321. What time's your wife get up, Laval? What do you mean? Ben, get an outside line. Yeah. You're not going to call my home. It's Hillside 8321, Ben. Outside, please. Don't do that. Don't. Not my wife. Please. All right. Ask the questions again. This time I'll give you the answers. Thomas Laval was 38 years old. He was a well-respected man in his community. Sometimes it's like that. You can question a man for hours and he'll never give you any information. But somewhere in every man's makeup, there's a weak point. We were lucky enough to find Laval's. He told us that he would give us the locations where the hijacked goods were hidden. He told us the addresses were written on the ledge of a windowsill on the seventh floor of the Teamsters Union Hall. It was 8.30 a.m. On the seventh floor, is that right? Yeah. Do me a favor. Don't make it too big. Well, look, we have to walk through the hiring hall before we get to the elevators in the back. Yeah? These handcuffs. They'll see them, all the guys in the hall. They know me. Can't you take them off my wrist till we get in the elevator? Sorry, LaBelle. Well, I won't try anything, but don't make me walk in front of them with these on. Sorry. Just till we get in the elevator. Can't you do that? I, I don't want the guys to see me. Well, here's my overcoat, LaBelle. Drape it over your hands here, and they won't see the cuffs. There you are. Come on. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hi. What's new, Tom? Not much. 
Let's take the elevator. Yeah. Cigarette? No, thanks. You? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's on the outside. Open the window and let me check. Yeah. Let me see it. Ben, grab him. He's trying to jump. Hey, get back here. Get back. Let go of your head. Let go. Get him, Joe. I can't hold him. He's pulling me out. Hold on, Ben. Grab me. Joe. Joe. He's slipping. Try, Joe. Hold on. He's kicking loose. I can't hold him. Hold him, Joe. Ben. Almost went with him. Let's get downstairs. What happened? Call an ambulance. There's been an accident. Thomas Laval was 38 years old. He was a well-respected man in this community. He died with the same reputation. We had a prisoner who'd met his death while in our custody. In cases like this, we had to have witnesses. By the time we got to the street, the usual accident crowd had gathered. Anybody here see the accident? What do you want? Witnesses? Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah, we saw it. Let's get their names, Ben. My name's Pete Garfield. This is Jack Morris. We'll be your witnesses. You'll probably be subpoenaed for the inquest tomorrow morning. Sure, we'll be there. We saw you push the guy out the window. We saw you kill him. The next morning at 10 a.m. in the basement of the Hall of Justice, Harold J. Lane, deputy coroner, city and county of Los Angeles, read the report of the findings of the autopsy on the body of the deceased Thomas Laval. As is customary at a coroner's inquest, the identification witness was called to testify first. Elizabeth Laval, please. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yes. Be seated. State your name. Elizabeth Laval. What is your address? 1216 East Camarillo Drive. What is your occupation? I'm a housewife. What is your relation to the deceased? His wife. Have you viewed the body of the deceased in this office? Yes. Who was the deceased? Husband. Thomas Laval. Is there anything further you wish to add? Thank you. Step down, please. Joseph Friday. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth will help you, God? I do. Be seated. State your name. Joe Friday. What is your address? 4656 Collis Avenue. What is your occupation? I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. Are you the investigating and arresting officer on this case? I am. Will you state briefly the facts relating to the death of the deceased? <clears throat> on the morning following the arrest by us of the deceased on suspicion of grand theft merchandise... 
He expressed a desire to assist us in the apprehension of suspects involved in these thefts and the recovery of property taken in them. Did he assist you? Well, he informed us that if we took him to the Teamsters Union Hall, that he'd be able to obtain addresses of the locations where the stolen property was cached. You then took him there? Yes, we did. What happened? When we arrived, he requested us to remove his handcuffs. We refused. The deceased then informed us that the addresses were written on a window ledge on the seventh floor. When we arrived at the window, under the pretense of searching for the addresses, he threw himself over the ledge. I grabbed his left leg to restrain him, but he kicked loose. Uh, did you at any time have any idea that the deceased planned such action? I did not. What did you do then? We immediately went to the location of the body and had an ambulance dispatched. Do you have anything further to state? No, I have not. Are there any questions from the jury? That's all, Officer Friday. Step down. Peter Garfield. Raise your right hand. Yeah. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yeah. Be seated. State your name. Pete Garfield. What is your address? 1654 North Pico. What is your occupation? Truck driver. Down at General Warehouse. Did you know the deceased? Yeah. How did you know him? I worked with him. And that cop's a liar, and so is his buddy sitting over there. Please confine the testimony of this inquest to facts. Were you present at the time the deceased met his death? I told you I was. And those two cops pushed Tom out of the window. Where were you at the time the deceased was pushed or jumped from the window? Jack and I just left the union hall. We were going out the front door when it happened. What attracted your attention? I heard him scream. When I looked up, Tom was falling. That cop was standing at the window watching him. Did you see the officer push him? Yes, I saw him. Did I understand you to say you were on the street outside the building at the time? Yeah. And you saw the officers push the deceased from the window on the seventh floor from your vantage point? Yeah. Isn't it true that that's a physical impossibility? What is? That you could have seen what you testified to from where you were standing. I know they pushed it. You know or you saw? I know, that's all. Tom wouldn't jump out of a window. Then it's true you didn't see the officers push the deceased out of the window? No, I didn't see them. Is there anything further you'd like to add? They must have pushed them. Any question from the jury? That's all, Garfield. Step down. Dorothy River. Raise your right hand. Yes. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. Be seated. State your name. Dorothy River. What is your address? 211 South Beverly Drive. And what is your occupation? I'm a stenographer at the Teamsters Union Hall. Were you present the morning the deceased met his death? I was. State where you were and what you were doing. I was in our office on the seventh floor doing some filing. Please state what you witnessed. The filing cabinet in our office is by the door. The office faces on the hallway and the door happened to be open. I heard a commotion and looked out. I saw those two officers struggling with a man. Did you hear any conversation? Yes. 
I heard that officer there say, get back here, get back. The man outside the window yelled, let me go, let me go. And this officer here, Officer Friday, said, he's pulling me out. Hold on, Ben, grab me. How far from the window were you? I'd say about 15 feet. Do you have anything else to add? Yes. As the two policemen started downstairs, Officer Friday said to me, call an ambulance, there's been an accident. Thank you, Miss River. Those officers didn't push that man out the window. They were trying to hold him. All right, that's the first portion of the Thomas Level case on Dragnet from 1949 with Jack Webb. More after these words. Porsche exchange. We should be a spokesman for them. I, I would like that very and much. Be, and drive Porsche. test driver. Yeah. Well, that way we could actually talk about it from our own experiences. Listen, I'll be happy to drive a Porsche for a Porsche exchange. Happy to do it. I, I was mentioning that myself. Your dad so. has a Porsche. He's got a nice Porsche. He does. Boy, it must be nice. Well, you know, he's retired, and that's what he's <laughs> he deserves decided it. to do. He does, he's worked hard his whole life. He yeah. should have the car he wants. He drives too fast when he drives does he? that car. He oh, does. boy, really? I think you're just predisposed to drive too fast when you drive a very powerful car. Yeah, not necessarily. Well, I don't know, because I don't have that. But, but um, I'll be happy to um, I'm sure I could drive it very be a safely. spokesperson for Porsche Exchange. I would like that, too. Yeah. So, if you're listening... Uh-huh. We're on it. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, we're listening to Dragnet, a good episode from October 1st, 1949, the Thomas Level case. Jack Webb, along with Barton Yarbrough in the show, here's the conclusion to Dragnet. After hearing additional witnesses, the coroner's jury retired at 11.57 a.m. Eight minutes later, they returned with their decision. The deceased met his death voluntarily and by his own actions. The homicide detail continued the investigation of Laval's death. A week went by. With homicide working one side, we hoped that they might turn up additional leads in the hijacking case. Nothing turned up. It seemed that with the death of Thomas Laval, our leads came to an abrupt stop. On Tuesday morning, March 16th at 9 a.m., we got a call from Chief of Detectives Ed Backstrand. Now, once more, what about the waybills on these shipments? You checked them? Everything we could. Talk to everybody and handle them. And talk to them some more. $42,000 in merchandise doesn't just disappear. Now, who's the last one to handle those wave bills? The warehouse shipping clerk. The bills were signed and stamped two hours after he filed them in his desk. They disappeared. Well, what about the truck drivers? You checked them out? Talked to all of them. Nothing so far. Nothing was missing from those shipments until they left the warehouse. Is that right? Yeah. And somewhere in between the warehouse and the delivery points, $42,000 worth of goods disappeared. Somebody's got to be hijacking those loads. We know that, but how do we get to it? Maybe they're working alone. Maybe they're working with the truck drivers. It's one of the others. Got to be. It just hadn't lost Laval. Well, you lost him. That doesn't close the case. You got a suggestion? Yeah, I got a suggestion. Crack it. We stayed on the job. Another week went by. No leads. We spent so much time at the general warehouse where the merchandise disappeared that we almost got to be a part of the crew. We got to know everybody. We made frequent visits to the Teamsters Union Hall. It got us nothing. On Wednesday, March 26th, we reported in for work at 8 a.m. Friday, Romero. Yes, Skipper? You fooled around just long enough. They hijacked another load last night. $38,000. 
What outfit? Same. General Warehouse. Who's your contact down there? Ray Hobart, shipping clerk. I'll hop down there right now and get the details. Right, Ed. There are two ways to solve this thing. Yeah? You can get those hijackers now or wait till General Warehouse goes out of business. Get on it. Hobart, who was the shipping clerk on duty last night? I was. Uh, working for Siggy. Siegelmeister. He's out of the cold. And you saw the stuff was loaded on the trucks and you checked the way bill? Yeah, as usual. Everything as usual. Uh, checked the trucks out at 2 a.m., went back to the office, filed the way bills. You work a pretty heavy schedule, Hobart. You started at 2 a.m. and you're still on duty? Oh, it took the last four hours of Siggy's shift at 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. He had a cold. I was back here at 10 this morning to start my own shift. When did you find out the way bills were missing on that shipment last night? Oh, uh, just before I went off. Maybe uh, half past five, quarter to six. Well, how about the truck drivers who handle that load, Hobart? You got them? Uh, let's see. I got it right here. Okay. Uh, here you go, Sergeant. Uh, Jack Morris and Pete Garfield. Jack Morris and Pete Garfield were brought in for questioning. We double-checked with Homicide and found that their reports on Morris and Garfield tallied with ours. No previous records. Both men had been tailed for a reasonable length of time since their testimony at the Laval inquest. Their actions failed to implicate them. Four days after the second hijacking, we got a tip from one of our informants down in the warehouse district. He told us that a man in a gray suit had been hanging around the coffee shop next to the Teamsters Union Hall. He was peddling nylon stockings, cheap. There had been other reports like this, which we had followed up, but none of them had paid off. Usually such leads didn't pay off, but we couldn't be sure. They had to be checked. At a few minutes before five that afternoon, we found the nylon salesman in the gray suit in the back booth of the coffee shop adjoining the union hall. Look, Meg. Take a look. Find it. You can't do better. 51-gauge nylon. Look good, huh? Mm, sure do, don't you, Joe? Yeah, they do. We've been looking for you, Max. Some of the guys in the union hall said that you'd be around. Sure, I saw lots of these around the hall. Truck drivers, just like you, buying them like crazy. Good deal. Sure looks like it, man. How many pairs can we have? Many as you want. Four bits a pair, you name it. You got a couple of dozen for us? A couple of dozen? No, not on me, but I can get them. Many as you want. Well, we're kind of in a hurry. Can you get them for us fast? A couple of dozen. Better make it three dozen, huh, Joe? Yeah, if you want. Three dozen. Can you get them now? A couple of hours I can get them. Same quality. Want to meet me here? Oh, I don't know. We wanted them for tonight. My wife's birthday, you know. Well, maybe an hour and a half. How's that? Three dozen, meet you here. Oh, look, Mac, uh, maybe we're both heading the same direction. Can we go with you and pick up the nylon? Save time for all of us. No, I don't think so. No. Can't you wait? Hour and a half? How's that? Never find a better buy. I'm sorry, Mac. I wish we had the time. Well, where do you have to go to pick up these nylons? Oh, way out. Sunset Boulevard near Fairfax. Can't you wait? I'll make it fast. Can't we pay you and then go out and pick them up ourselves? Huh? No. Don't work that way. No. Can't you wait here? I'll make it fast. We ought to be home now, Joe. Yeah, I'm sorry, mister. We'll have to skip it. Yeah, maybe we can pick up something on the way home, Ben. Candy or something. Wife likes candy. Now, uh, look, fellas, I I don't want to see you lose out on this deal. I'll meet you halfway. How do you mean? Uh, look, together we'll go out to Sunset and Fairfax, huh? Near the place. You wait there at the hamburger stand. And in five minutes, I'll bring you the stuff, okay? Oh, I don't know. We're late already, but... All right, it's a deal. I'll call the wife and tell her we're going to be a little later. Three dozen, all right? Three dozen are the best. You can't do better. All right, I'll be back in just a minute.
Chief of Detectives Office, Chandler. Mike, Joe Friday, Backstrand there? All right, now, Joe. Well, then do me a favor, Chandler. Make it fast. Get a couple of men out to Sunset and Fairfax as fast as you can. Tell them to watch for Ben and me. You got that? Yeah, what else? We'll drive up in our car with another man. Ben and I will get out of the car and go in the hamburger stand. The other man will walk off. Whoever you get, tell him to follow that man. You got it? Right. All right. Just tail him. See where he goes, see what he does. Okay, Joe, right away. All set, Joe? She got dinner ready? Yeah, just about. We better hustle. Sure. Best deal in the world. Let's go. At five minutes to six, we pulled up at the corner of Sunset Boulevard in Fairfax. It was almost dark. Ben and I got out of the car and started over for the hamburger stand on the corner. We caught a glimpse of Barcy and Kaplan in one of our detective cars parked in the gas station on the opposite corner. They had their eyes on our man. When the traffic signals changed, the man crossed the street and headed down Fairfax. Barcy and Kaplan waited a minute, and then they took off after him. He turned at the next corner and disappeared from sight. Ben and I ordered a cup of coffee, and we sat down to wait. At half past six, we were still waiting. At five minutes to seven, I went across the street to the drugstore and called the office. Barcy and Kaplan hadn't been heard from. Their car, 105K, was not acknowledging calls. I had my call switched from communications to Backstrand's office. Well, they lost him, Friday. And I don't know how they lost him, but they lost him. Well, who's out there now? Sullivan and Whitney took a detail out there. They're combing the neighborhood right now. Well, how did it happen? A man just doesn't disappear into thin air. That's what I keep telling you about that stuff that's been hijacked. The search for the nylon salesman went on all that night and most of the next day. From his description, we ran a make on him. No previous record. He had disappeared completely. We were right back where we'd started from. The only thing we could do was to start backtracking, re-questioning the people at General Warehouse, the truck drivers, the shipping clerks. We kept a close check on Garfield and Morris, and when we went back to the only possible lead still remaining, Mrs. Laval. She could tell us nothing more than we already knew. When we left her, we started on the neighbors for the second time around. For the rest of the day, we canvassed the immediate neighborhood. We got as many opinions of the Lavals as they had neighbors. At 3.30 that afternoon, we visited with Miss Gertrude Langster, a 50-year-old maiden lady who lived almost directly across the street from the Laval house. She'd been out of town the first time we covered the neighborhood. The old saying goes, Sergeant, there's no fool like an old fool. Oh, say, if I told you the chances I had when I was a girl... Yeah, but we just... We're not truck drivers like that. Laval man, God rest his soul. But fine, wealthy men, bankers, lawyers... Templeton Grant, you remember him? No, ma'am. I was engaged to him once. Butterfly waist. That's what he used to call me. Well, Well, I was slim in those days. Would you like to see some pictures of me as a girl? No. No, thank you, ma'am. We'd just like to ask you a few questions, that's all. Could you tell us if the Lavals had many visitors to their house in the past six months or so? Oh, my no. Funny thing, I am the nosy type, Sergeant. I like to know everything that goes on around my neighborhood. And you can take my word for it, the Lavals never had visitors. You know, Sergeant Friday, you remind me of a young man I used to be engaged to just a few years ago. Yes, Miss Langston. Now, would you tell us, please, uh, did you have any reason to think that there was something little out of the ordinary about the Laval? Oh, little out of the ordinary, he says. But my dear man, yes. Here he was, a truck driver, and there she was with a home furnished like the Astors. Why, I even used to see him cart some of the things home in that car. He has beautiful things, rugs and glassware, bolts of fabric. Oh, gorgeous. And he'd bring these things home after work, is that it, Miss Langston? Oh, anytime, anytime. Day or night, weekends, anytime. Mm-hmm. After four, Joe, we better call office. Yeah. Are you sure of all that you've told us, Miss Langston? Sure. Oh, my dear man, of course I'm sure I watched him week after week. Well, 
Thank well, you. Well, uh, won't you stay for a cup of tea? I'll have Josephine fix it. Josephine? No, thank you, ma'am. Well, then, uh, perhaps a glass of sherry? Thank you, no. But there is something. Yes? I wonder if we could use your phone, please. Oh, uh, yes. In the hall, next to the umbrella stand. Thank you, ma'am. Two five two three. Two five two three. Thanks, Trent. Friday, Ed. Nothing much here. Well, there's something here. Barcy and Kaplan just called. Pete Garfield left his house half an hour ago. Then he picked up Morris. What's so unusual about that? Nothing except the guy driving the car is the little man in the gray suit, the nylon salesman. Barcy and Kaplan are tailing him. Where are they now? Headed north out Riverside Drive. There's nothing out there but a golf course and a lot of riding stables. I don't care what they do for recreation. Go get them. <laughs> With red light and siren, it took us 12 minutes to pick up Barcy and Kaplan on Riverside Drive. At 4.23 p.m., we pulled up in front of the Blue Pony Riding Stables. Barcy and Kaplan's car was overturned just beyond the driveway leading up to the riding academy. Kaplan's hurt. I called an ambulance. They rammed us. What kind of a car are they in? They switched. They're driving a 12-ton bulldog semi. Which way'd they head? Going north. Got a three-minute lead on you. Pneumatic commercial. Adam 653. Let's go, Ben. Can you see him, Joe? No, not yet. Watch that crossing. Up ahead, Joe. That's a semi. Can you read it? Wait a minute. Adam 653. That's them. Took a ride on Lancashire. Don't lose them. They're pushing that semi too hard. Look at that trailer sway. They'll have to stay on Lancashire. They're going too fast to turn now. Traffic's closing in up ahead of them. They better not turn. That's what they're doing. Look at that trailer whip. They're going over into that storefront. Joe. Yeah. Garfield, Morris, little man in the gray suit. It's funny, isn't it? What's that? Garfield's going to swear we pushed that truck through that window. The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Peter Garfield, Jack Morris, and John Dolfo, the stocking salesman, were hospitalized and later brought to trial. They were convicted on charges of grand theft and received sentences as prescribed by law. They are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. You have just heard the 18th in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of acting chief of police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to motorcycle officer Elmer Forsman of the Fresno, California Police Department who on the afternoon of October 6th, 1946, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. Judy Canova joins the star lineup of Saturday shows tonight on NBC. All right, that is Dragnet from October 1st, 1949, the Thomas Level case starring Jack Webb. 
Hope you enjoyed that. America, our military is sacrificing for our freedom. Please take the time to remember our men and women fighting overseas. This salute, courtesy of Silva Painting, serving our listeners with quality, service, reliability, and integrity. For quality interior and exterior painting work, both commercial and residential, call 312-468-7135. 312-468-7135. That's Silva Painting on the air, saluting our troops.